Hello, and welcome to ADHD Essentials, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm a former teacher and mental health clinician turned ADHD coach, trainer, and consultant. I can be reached at brendan at adhdessentials.com. Here at ADHD Essentials, we help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. What's up, team? This week, I wrapped a two-week extension on the ADHD Essentials online parent coaching groups. So the parent coaching groups are done for the year. The extension was on video games and the struggle to manage them within the household. Information on the next round of parent coaching groups will come out in early next year, so keep your ears tuned come January. I still have openings in my speaking calendar for 2020, so if you're interested in having me provide a workshop for your school, business, or community group, please send me a line at brendan at adhdessentials.com or just go to the website adhdessentials.com and contact me there. If you're not listening to Hacking Your ADHD with Will Curb or ADHD Rewired with Eric Tivers, you're missing out on two solid ADHD resources. In Hacking Your ADHD, Will Curb, who we're talking to today, explores way that we can work with our ADHD brains to do more of the things that we want to do. And Eric Tivers' ADHD Rewired is a show designed for adults who have really good intentions but slightly wandering attention. His interviews are top-notch, and both Will and I are part of his monthly Q&As. Finally, the best way to support this show is to share it with others, online or in person. So with the holidays coming up, let the people you see know that we exist and how much value you find in the show. Or go ahead and share this episode on your Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter feeds. And of course, don't forget to give us that 5-star rating and review in iTunes. It really goes a long way to helping people find the show, and the more people know about us, the more people we can help. In fact, go ahead and pause the show and do it now. Welcome to ADHD Essentials. Today, we're talking to Will Curb. Will is a dad, the host of the Hacking Your ADHD podcast, and the proud owner of an ADHD brain. In today's episode, we discuss depression and perfectionism. Will's approach to inventorying the past year, how he allows his ADHD struggles to inform his compassion for his kids, gaining from failure, and managing an ultimate Frisbee team, which is almost certainly one of the most ADHD jobs ever. All right, let's get rolling. I'm Will Kerb. I host Hacking Your ADHD. I'm a dad. I uh, have ADHD. I was diagnosed about 10 years ago, and I've got uh, two kids, uh, one that's two and one that's four that we're kind of looking at to see if she has ADHD because I see a lot of myself in her. Hacking your ADHD is really ADHD strategies. It's you kind of sharing tips and tricks to help us manage our ADHD so we can do the things we want to do, which means you have put a decent amount of thought into ADHD and how it affects you. So I'm wondering how becoming a dad four years ago affected your ADHD and how the ADHD affects your parenting. I feel like being mindful of my ADHD management became so much more important when I was became a dad. And it wasn't something that at that time I had a lot of insight into. 
had the strategies I did, but I didn't often write them down or think about them. And so then suddenly I have these kids that don't care at all about what I need to do. And, you know, it's like, okay, suddenly at 3 a.m. I have to be up with a kid. That's terrible for my ADHD, but it's something I have to do. And so it became more about focusing on being vigilant about doing the really important things, like making sure I'm going to bed on time. That became like a non-negotiable thing for me. It's like, oh, I could stay out or I could have a good next day. And having a good next day will kind of always win out for me. Mm -hmm. It's amazing just thinking like, yeah, the kid doesn't care about how I'm feeling. They still have their needs. It's almost like we have sort of rules that we've learned in the course of having ADHD, even if we haven't put much thought into it yet. We have these rules that we know. We gotta, I kind of got to do this to have a good tomorrow. And then kids come in and they're like, I don't know about the rules and I don't care about the rules. And they just kick everything over. Exactly. And at the time I had a job that was really intense. Um, I was a helping manage a professional ultimate Frisbee team. And so that sounds a little silly, but it also was, you know, a full-time thing where I'd work till like 10 o'clock at night. How do you even end up becoming the manager of an ultimate Frisbee team? And how do you make enough money at that to call it a job? It was a passion thing at the time. I was not making that much money. Okay. And I was just putting in an inordinate amount of hours, you know, like wake up at six to start call Cause I like, we had to like schedule things at schools. And so I'd be calling schools at like when they opened up so that I could actually get to the registrar who could like help me out. And so like wake up six and then I do stuff throughout the day and then be like, oh, I'm editing articles to like 10 because I was helping people on both sides of the, the league because we had a more centralized model. So I'd be helping people on the East Coast and I'd be helping people on the West Coast and it just went on all night. And that was awful for ADHD. It sounds like one of the most ADHD jobs you can get though, right? Like, what do you do? I manage an ultimate Frisbee team. Like that just sounds like a thing an ADHD person would wind up doing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was a ton of fun. It was just essentially working at a startup at the time because we had no money and just a few people working for us. So it's like, I'm going to wear all the hats. When are you managing the ultimate Frisbee team? It started up in 2013 and closed down in 2017. We had four seasons. I worked with the uh, Portland team, so not even in the city I was in. I was living in Tacoma at the time, and so I drive pretty much every weekend three hours to go down for games and then come back up. Uh, I used to stay down there, and then once I had, once we had, ki- had kids, I drove back up the same day, so I'd have a pretty long day with like six-hour commute. Wow. It's a passion project. You're managing the ultimate Frisbee team. Things are going okay, and then your daughter is born, and she doesn't care because she's a baby. How does that play out for you? I have to scale back a lot. I have to be like, okay, I can't do being a dad and having ADHD and having this thing that I do 24 hours a day. And scaling back definitely kind of sent me into a depression because I wasn't, I felt like I wasn't doing enough, especially because managing the team was more seasonal where we'd have work, 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 end of the season. And then it's like, get ready for next season, but no more deadlines. And it was just, hard to do that, you know, be really intense and then go drop the intensity. Uh, So definitely started with scaling back. Um, I do remember my daughter was born seven days before the first game of the season that year. I still drove to Portland that weekend and dripped back up. I was just like, okay, sweetie, your parents can come down and help you as you need. I'll be back in 10 hours. 
not some of the best choices of my life. I guess what caused you to leave Ultimate Frisbee? Is it just that it folded? Is it like the ADHD and the parenting and Ultimate Frisbee are not making a healthy enough combination, so I need something to give? What's going on there? Pretty much left just because it folded. And then in the time after, I had enough like decompression time to be go, oh, wow, what I was doing was really unhealthy. At the time, I did not have any sense that like, oh, this is why I get depressed at these times. And this is why I just feel so overwhelmed all the time. It was like, I was too, too much in it to see, see what was going on. Really appreciative that I, it kind of folded because I'm like, oh, I would have done a lot of more damage to myself. Can we play in that sandbox a little bit around the depression and the damage that you're doing to yourself and the role ADHD is playing in that? Yeah. I think that this is an area where a lot of listeners are getting hit. What does that look like? How is this like ramping up of intensity and then falling off, impacting your mental health? How is the not feeling like you're doing enough because now you have kids impacting your mental health? What does that look like? How does that play out for you? Dads don't get as much support in that area. Mm -hmm. There's the whole masculinity be like, oh yeah, you, you have emotions. Don't do that. Yeah. It can be hard for dad to be like, yeah, I am having problems with my kids being born, you know, like we're kind of supposed to be rocks a lot of the time. And that's, that is part of the depression is where you're like, oh, I can't express my emotions as how I want to. But yeah, the, the depression area is, that's been something that's been, I've still been working on is being like, I can just do less. Um, so I had this uh, realization. I was driving my daughter to school a couple of years ago. We were listening to the Frozen tra- soundtrack. And uh, I remember like sitting there being like, as a perfectionist, like if I give myself my self-worth on my work and I'm a perfectionist, but I also know that nothing can be perfect, I'm never going to have self-worth from that. So I like took away like, okay, let's get rid of some of that perfectionism, which helped at the time. But then as I was like thinking about it this year, I was like going through that story again, looking some reflection. And I was like, I took away the wrong message. I took away, don't be a perfectionist. Messages, don't judge myself on what I'm producing. Because I want my kids to have self-worth just intrinsically. I don't think that whatever you do should define how much you're worth. And so that's what I've been working on recently because there's just so much more than what you do. It's like who you are that is what you should value. But that's still hard to like balance with the depression because you go, oh, I'm just not doing enough. I should be doing more and I should be perfect. I should be doing all these things and just never being able to get there. And then just because of the depression, you shut down, can't do anything. That compounds. It's like, oh man, I'm not doing enough because I'm depressed. I should be not depressed, but never going to fix itself like that. So what steps did you take to climb out of that hole? Part of it is just trying to be a good partner and just doing enough. Like I always try to do my share in a relationship, but it's hard to like always keep that in mind. Uh, I, I definitely, you know, seen all the stuff like, you know, Men, you know, typically believe they do way more in a relationship than they do because of all the, um, I want to say cognitive load, but it's something else. Um, yeah, the emotional load. Yeah, that's the cognitive one. load and emotional load are both in there. Yeah. Um, and so just like keeping that in mind and being like, okay, just do little things that are going to help the entire relationship and taking those small steps often be like, okay, well, if I just take out the trash today, that's okay. 
and then you know making sure being like okay well i'll do the dishes do those things without being asked and as i take those little steps then it's like okay well i'm doing things um because i find the the thing that keeps me in depression is not doing anything mm -hmm. if i just you know sit in a dark room and just think about being depressed i'm going to stay depressed um so anything to keep to keep me moving in any kind of way like going for a walk usually makes me feel way better so depression for me is just all about moving forward doing any little thing that's going to keep me from staying where i am especially cognitively when i got hit with depression after my worst year ever where uh my career as a teacher ended my mom got sick my mom died and then my car burned down after that like i was a mess and that's kind of where the ADHD stuff came from. I also got a master's degree during that time. And those two things kept me moving forward. But the thing that I really hung my hat on that allowed me to climb out of that depression, there were, there were two things that happened. One was my car burning down. And uh, I started posting on Facebook, today's awesome. And just writing what the awesome of the day was. And sometimes it was pancakes. And sometimes it was getting a workshop at a school or whatever the case may have been. And I still do it to this day, not as reliably and not as often as I used to. It used to be a daily practice and I just, my days are filled with other stuff now. So I don't get on Facebook as regularly as I once did. But the other thing that happened was I had to take stock in where I was as a contributor to my household because the men are supposed to make the money and I wasn't and I didn't for like three years because I was a full-time grad student, part-time stay-at-home dad, dabbler in ADHD. Where I ended up hanging my hat was recognizing what the skill set was that I was bringing to my marriage, which was I'm a really good dad. I am head and shoulders above most other dads, not because I was home and did stuff, but because of my skill set as a teacher and social emotional skills and all that stuff. And recognizing and giving myself credit for that and the work that I was doing with my kids to sort of keep them on an even keel. And also that I do the social stuff for our household a lot of the time. Like, I don't pay the bills, but the reason we see friends is usually because of me. I'm usually making the plans. I'm usually organizing that stuff. And it, as a result, in a, our house, we're gender flipped in a lot of ways. My wife makes more money than I do. My wife does the financial stuff. She's definitely more executive function strong than I am. But I'm more social emotional in our marriage. I'm the one navigating the emotional needs of everybody and making sure we see social stuff and those kinds of things. So I eventually had to hang my hat on that, which was genderly, if that's a word, I guess it is now, not where I was supposed to hang my hat. <laughs> like I'm supposed to hang my hat on, I make all the money and, and I like, I don't know, I yell at the kids or whatever. And that just isn't how I operate. So what, where were you hanging your hat? Or where are you hanging your hat now, depending on which question is better? Well, so um, very similar to you last. So last year, um, I unexpectedly lost my mom. Uh, mm -hmm. And so that was definitely something that was like, yeah, uh, thank you. Um, we, we got a, a good inheritance, so we didn't have to like focus so much on making money, mm -hmm. um, which is, you know, nice in some respects would much rather have my mom uh that was like oh no that's a very strange thing where it's like oh i don't have to move forward with this now mm -hmm. 
so in then in respects to your question of like where I hang my hat there is trying to see where I can add value to things, you know, uh, and making sure that not everything is on my wife. Like example, like you were talking about the social thing. I am a lot, I'm fairly introverted. And so it's easy for me to just be like, we'll stay home all the time. <laughs> but that's not great for the relationship. So, you know, also scheduling uh, like double dates with uh, friends we have, you know, being like taking initiative in things to make sure that, you know, vacations happen. Also being like, yeah, being like, I'm going to be a great dad. I don't, uh, I have workaholic tendencies and I could work all day if I wanted to, but I make sure that I like go and pick my kids up from school every day. That means cutting off my work day a lot earlier. And because of lessons I learned from when I worked at the Frisbee League, I don't work at home at night anymore. Like I know that's just a recipe for me to kill myself. Mm -hmm. So like part of where I hang my head is being, yeah, doing, being a good dad by making sure I leave work out of home you know, making sure that I'm attentive while I'm with my kids, which can be really hard for people. That's awesome. I love that you said that being a good dad means leaving work out of the house and leaving work at work. That's, that's huge. That's a critical concept that, and not just being a good dad, but being a good parent means you got to leave work at work and that can be difficult. Yeah. Well, so I've been doing stuff about reviewing my year recently and part of that was uh, going through my calendar uh, like week by week and being like, okay, here's what I did this year. And then like separating all the things I did this year into like family, work, fun, different life domains and stuff. And then being like, okay, was I spending my time where I really wanted to be? Recently, I've been spending a lot more time at work than I want. So that's for like when I'm looking at next year being like, hey, how can I make sure that I'm not falling into those patterns again? And so that I'm actually reflecting my values with how I plan my time. How are you inventorying your year? This is going to be the uh, episode I release later today is actually all about this. So we'll link to it. Yeah. Um, I'll start off with my calendar and go uh, week by week. It was, I was really amazed when I did it this year because I was like, I know what I did this year. And I was like, looking like, oh my God, there's so many more things on my calendar I did that I have no recollection of, or at least I wouldn't have like written down as things I did this year. Like I had to sell my mom's house. That wasn't something I would have written down, mm -hmm. even though that was, you know, a fairly big undertaking. And so, yeah, go through that, add anything else I can think of that I like, you know, there's always things that we didn't put on our calendar that we ended up doing. So taking all that, separating that out into the different life domains, and then using that information to go over some re reflection questions like, okay, where was I spending most of my time? What were my big accomplishments? And like, how would I like to spend my time next year? How would I like to use this information to make 2020 a better year? That's a great strategy. I genuinely hope that my listeners do that. Yeah. I will do that. I'm committing right now. I'm going to do that. I haven't done it. Informally, I've done it. I've been like, I was really busy from February until last month. Like I didn't stop to breathe. Um, but that's not the same thing as what you're talking about. That I'll figure out why I was so busy from February until November in the course of that inventorying. So, so thank you for sharing that. That's a great strategy. Yeah. And I'll say, I also put a PDF together that's on my show notes page for that episode. So it's easy to just like walk through, be like, okay, I'm going to spend 30, 45 minutes on this and then just get the entire thing done. Nice. As I did, it, I was just like, this is going to be important. And then, oh, this is much more important than I actually realized. 
because it's given me a much clearer vision of what 2019 looked like for me. And I'm assuming that in that episode, you talk about what you learned from that. Yeah. So I'm not going to ask you that question because people can go listen to the episode. Next week, I'm going to be trying to like add in my planning for 2020. You do the reflection because if you don't do it, then when you plan, you don't really know where you were. And so trying to like add in your GPS, I'm like, this is where I want to go. I don't know where I am. So I don't know how to get there at all. So circling back to the dad stuff, where does ADHD play out in you as a dad? Uh, it definitely plays out in making sure things happen, like brushing teeth and stuff. That's like there's like lots of little things where it's like keeping up routines, but also it's one of the things that I've realized is that strategies I'm using for my ADHD are just great with kids in general being like, oh, I'm going to, I would need transition time here. And then telling my daughter, okay, 10 minutes till we're going to get ready to school, get ready for school or till we're going to put shoes on and get out the door. Five minutes till we get ready to put our shoes on and get out the door. Her hearing those things really helps her be like, oh, okay, now, now I know we're going because I, I've, been prepared for this transition. Whereas like when I have distracted mornings where I'm like, oh, we need to go right now. Those are awful mornings. So making sure that I'm being really attentive to like my ADHD and treating, giving my kids that same courtesy with like, oh, okay, we're going to have this transition. I'm going to understand when you lose things because I lose things. Using that kind of information to be like, I'm going to treat them on the, on a higher level of just uh, understanding what they what they need. In understanding your own needs, you've been able to have more empathy and compassion and understanding with regard to what your kids need. Yeah, exactly. And being like, yeah, okay, we, we forget things. We, we're going to get distracted. Because in a lot of ways, your ADHD is kind of like your own little toddler in your head where it gets distracted and it's like, there's a shiny screen. I can't st stop looking at it. And if I treat my toddler the same way I treat my ADHD, then it kind of works out way better. <laughs> and then taking that flip of that being like, if I wouldn't treat my toddler this way, I should not treat my ADHD this way either. Yeah. Which also means you're not treating yourself that way. Yeah. That's really helped with my, like, I had some awful self-talk for a couple of years ago and then just being like, oh man, I would never say that to my kid. What kind of an impact did that have on the depression? Overall, it's been pretty good. A couple months ago, I had this thing where I like sat down on my couch and I was just like, man, I should go do laundry and this, this, and this. And then my brain was just like, according to who? And I'm like, oh, thank you, brain. That's really nice of you. I don't actually <laughs> have to do all these things. I don't have to be beat myself up for not doing these things. And I was like, oh, nice self-talk. Thank you. Negative self-talk just, it builds on itself and it's really hard to break out of. For me, it's hard to even know it's happening sometimes. My stuff is like ninja. The next thing I know, I'm bummed out. And I don't know why. And then I'm like, oh, okay. It's that negative, negative self-talk. But I like the idea of like, when I say this to my kid, and hopefully the answer is no, hopefully you're not being a big jerk to your kids. But I really love that level of compassion of like, my kids are four and two. I wouldn't say this to them. So I'm not going to say this to myself. And I like the way that that extrapolates because if you're not going to say that to 40-ish year old you, I don't know how old you are, I'm just taking a guess, and you're not going to say that to your four-year-old daughter, that also means that when your daughter is 10 and your son is eight or however old as they grow up, you're probably not going to say that to them at those ages either because there's a better way to put it, even if it's negative feedback that's going to be a little challenging to hear. 
because yeah, they're never going to be as old as I am, which is 34. Uh, oh, I was way off. Yeah. So they're never going to be old, as old as me. And if I'm not expecting myself to have those requirements, it's not like it's going to make sense to be like, oh, you forgot to do your homework, even though I know I forgot to do these other things. It, it makes it easier to like level the playing field in my head being like, oh yeah, why would I expect them to do something I can't do? That's an area where it gets tricky as an ADHD parent, right? I know I struggle with that. Why would I expect them to be able to do it? But also if they can do it, I should expect them to be able to do it. So it's this interesting balancing act that we have to perform. We've talked a little bit about sort of the struggles that ADHD has brought, as well as the difficulty of managing an ultimate Frisbee team. I'm wondering what having ADHD has added to you as a dad, as a husband, as a person. What's the good stuff? This is a question I've thought about a lot because it's like an important aspect of your ADHD that's easy to overlook. And like what I always try to kind of answer on my podcast, I'm like, okay, well, let's look beyond just what the obvious things are here. And it's a really hard question to answer sometimes because I remember when I first got diagnosed with ADHD, they asked like, well, do you think you have ADHD? And I'm like, this is how I think everyone's brains works. I have no idea if I'm wrong here. <laughs> and it turns out people's brains work very differently than mine. And so, yeah, there's the impulsivity and playfulness is I think a great part of what I can do to bring, being a dad and stuff because I have a lot of fun just playing with my kids. And even though there's, you know, some difficulty with like, yeah, sometimes kids play really boring games, trying to figure out ways to keep that interesting. And then another aspect that I've realized is I'm a really good problem solver. I think one of the advantages to ADHD is kind of like this little side thing where we have so many interests that we like look into a ton of different things. And then when we need to like solve a problem, we can go, well, we can grab a little bit from up here and a little bit from over here, squeeze them together and get this totally different answer that no one else would have come up with because no one else has studied, you know, all these different things. I can draw on my experience from doing uh, Ultimate Frisbee Team and I can draw on my experience from years ago when I did real estate and have some like weird little combination mm -hmm. answer where I go, why don't we just do it this way and be like, yeah, this is a really obvious answer to me and present it to my wife and she'll be like, huh, I wouldn't have ever thought of that. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, weird. People's brains are different. Uh, there's also a level with ADHD of because we tend to fail more, we tend to have to problem solve more. So we get more practice at it. Yeah. And along with that, it's like, well, if this solution doesn't work, I'll come up with another one too. Yeah. Like, and this, because this is a side effect of the increased failure, right? This is sort of a different component to the wall of awful model that I have. If we fail a lot, yes, sometimes those failures breed these negative emotions, but it can also breed a ton of resilience because we learn, oh, this failure didn't kill me. It didn't mean I lost my job. It didn't mean that my family doesn't love me anymore. It just means that I failed. And so I can learn from that and keep moving forward. And depending on how our failures affect us, because sometimes we do lose the job. Sometimes our family does wind up in conflict with us. And sometimes we don't reframe the failure in a way that's healthy. We don't recognize that it really wasn't that bad. We're just feeling like it was really bad because we have rejection sensitivity or something like that. But when we can get a healthy perspective on failure, we can 
really gain some benefits from that in terms of problem solving like you're talking about. What I see there is we gain a lot from our failures when we don't internalize them and move it into shame where we go, I did a bad thing. Instead, we're saying, I'm a bad person because I did this thing. Being able to really externalize your failure, be like, I did this, but it's not a reflection on who I am. That's when we like really gain that resilience from failure. And I think a lot of people have trouble getting to that thing because it can be really embarrassing with some of your ADHD failures. You're like, I have no idea where my keys are. I'm just not going to tell anybody. In college, I lost my key to my room for three months. It was underneath my laundry basket. And I just would figure out the times my roommate was going back to the room and just go in the room then. Looking back, I'm like, that's ridiculous. No one would care that you lost your keys again and again and again. But yeah, I, I just were at the time I like I didn't want to be seen as the guy that never could keep track of his keys. Wow. But that problem solving though, that's you figuring that out even back then. Because you're solving more than one problem there, right? You're not just solving I'm locked out of my room. You're also solving the I don't want to have any shame blocks from having lost my keys. So I'm just going to circumnavigate this in a way that kind of disguises the fact that I lost my keys so other people don't know about it. Yeah. It's hard to get past that, like, I'm going to try and externalize these things and not build that, all that shame. But when you, when you can, it just helps you grow so much and actually get the resilience. Yeah. Awesome. So just being mindful of time, do you have any ending essentials that you'd like to share with our audience? Taking the time to really look at how ADHD can have some benefits and not just like, oh, they're more creative. That's a little bit hard to judge, you know, if you're more creative or not. I'm like, would I be more creative without ADHD? I don't know. But look at like, oh yeah, ADHD made me fail. So I had to learn how to do these things. Because I, I, So if I look back on my life and be like, would I like to have not gone through all these failures in my life? I don't know. Because yeah, they hurt at the time, but they've made me grow so much. And ADHD has been responsible for so much of my growth in this way that I'm a much better person than I otherwise would be. So looking at how ADHD can give you positives and how you can leverage some of these ADHD things to really help you out. I'm impulsive. How can I use that to my advantage? In writing, it's been great for me because I can be like, oh, I have all these ideas. I don't have to write literally. I can just be like, oh, I'm going to write this part and then this part and then this part and then put it together at the end for a much better piece because it has all these things I've taken from different places. And then try and like limit the other side of the impulsivity where I'm like, okay, let's make it harder to do online shopping so that I'm not buying just the weirdest stuff. Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website, ADHDessentials.com, and visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.